Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good morning, good morning. Welcome. So glad you're here. If I haven't had the meeting you, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, and a big celebration today, like James said, I've been here like pretty much officially a year now. So um, I'm an expert, right? Um, I know I know all about the city. Just kidding. Um, learning new things every day, like how to survive when it's like minus 25. Um, it was really cold the other day and my mustache froze. I'd never experienced that. I was walking home. We were walking home from dinner, and my mustache was frozen, and uh, that was a really new experience. I have a picture of it. It looks really gross because my mustache is kind of gross without a beard. So if you want to see that after, come and talk to me. But glad you're here this morning, um, and I'm glad to get to be up here and share with you um, just kind of how God spoke to me about this message um, and how it you know, how I felt he was teaching me what I needed to learn. And so as I preach this morning, don't ever think that I'm preaching, like, at you. Like, I think, hey, you should be doing this better. Like, hey, you need to be doing this better. Hey, I'm an expert. You should be doing this. But I'm preaching from a place that comes from my own heart and the own change that God's doing in my heart. So just know if you're sitting there this morning and you're like, man, that's really challenging. I feel that's piercing to my heart. And you can say, Dylan probably feels that way too, because I promise you I do. Um, God's word challenged me as I studied it. But like you got to see our new transitional slide to the sermon, we are starting a new series this week, so we can be excited for that, a new series, woo, no one's excited, okay, well, I'm excited to teach it to you, we're, we're doing a series called Stand, and it's going to be in the book of Daniel, and uh, as I started to process, like, who is Daniel, and started to think, you know, he moved far away from home at a very young age. I started to think about my life a little bit when I moved far away at a young age. Does anyone remember when they first moved out of home or moved away from their home? Does anyone kind of remember that? I was 18. Was anyone else kind of around 18 when they moved? moved? Okay, so I went to college. I went to university when I turned 18. I moved three hours from my parents' house and had unlimited freedom. And it was awesome. But let me tell you, my dorm room was about 300 square feet, and it was full of Pop-Tart crumbs. Like, <laughs> I don't think I vacuumed the entire time I was there. My roommate didn't either. Our room was a mess. This is really gross, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think I washed my sheets. Actually, I know I didn't wash my sheets for the whole semester. I took them home, and my mom was like, I swear I could probably stand these straight up. Like, these are so filthy. Why don't you wash them? I was like, you know, I shower before I get in bed. I'm clean. You know, they're clean, whatever. And so, like, I tasted freedom, and I lived on Pop-Tarts and pizza rolls for a year, and it was really bad for my life. And then also, I started doing this thing. I started visiting this really cool church called Bedside Baptist. Has anyone visited there before? It's when you actually sleep in and um, don't go to church. So you visit the Bedside Baptist, and that means you're just not at church. So I was pretty guilty of doing that a lot when I first moved away from home. And all that laughing and saying, but today, you know, we're talking about a young man who was taken from his home. And, you know, needless to say, he did a lot better on his own than um, I did eating Pop-Tarts. Um, but we'll, we'll dive on into it. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 today. 
So you can go ahead and turn your scripture there. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there are copies in the back on this table in the back. Feel free to grab one. And if you need it, you can keep it. It's yours. So, and it'll also be on the screen if you want to follow along when we start reading it. But we're in Daniel chapter 1. And I want to give us a little, you know, background to what's happening. Um, so right now in this time of the world, we're about to read that there's two kingdoms fighting each other and kind of what happens after that. So the two kingdoms right now that we're going to read in the scripture are the Babylonian kingdom and the uh, kingdom of Jerusalem. So a little bit of history about the Babylonian kingdom is is a large empire in modern day like Syria and Iraq. So you can picture it there, and it was mainly along the Euphrates River. Um, so just picture a really big, really powerful empire right there. The current king was King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and he had some beef with Egypt. You know, they weren't really friends. They were kind of uh, enemies in a sense. Um, but the thing about Egypt is they were actually pretty close with Jerusalem. They were allies. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But here, right before the scripture takes place, Egypt tries to invade Babylon. For some reason, they were like, hey, let's try to invade this really powerful nation um, and extend ourselves all the way over there. So they decide to invade Babylon. They go over there, and then the Babylonians actually win the battle. And they start chasing them back towards Egypt, and they start fleeing towards Jerusalem, actually. And the Babylonians are like, hey, they're friends with Egypt, too. Let's take their city as well. So all of that leading up to that. And then a little bit about Jerusalem, what's kind of going on there right now. Some pretty shady stuff. So the king at the time, first of all, I'm going to pronounce a lot of names today that are in Hebrew, and I'm not great at pronouncing Hebrew names. So bear with me, and if you want to correct me, wait till the end, please. Um, so the current king, his name is Jehoiakim. I think I did that pretty well. But his name means Yahweh raises up. But... Here's the thing. God did not actually raise this king up. His younger brother was actually named the king and was supposed to be the ruler of Jerusalem. But then the pharaoh of Egypt decided to get involved and said, no, I, this is your king. He, he named Jehoiakim king. He said, this is going to be your king. And with their power and strength, Jerusalem had to accept it. And actually, this guy, Jehoiakim, his name, that wasn't his name at first. His birth name was actually Elakim, and he gave himself the name Yahweh raises up. So instead of actually being named this because God raised him up, he let a pagan nation raise him, put him on the throne, and then said, Yahweh raised me up. So how insulting to God that is, first of all, leading into that. And he was also a pretty bad king. He killed a lot of prophets. He was pretty rebellious. He didn't lead the nation in a great place. And the whole nation of Jerusalem is actually in a pretty dark place right now. So we'll starting into that, we'll read verses 1 and 2 of Daniel and see what's going on. So read with me, it says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. When I first read this, and when you're reading this right now, you probably might wonder, why would God allow this to happen? Why would he allow his people to be taken over? Why would he allow them to take their objects from the temple? That seems pretty crazy. Why would God let this happen? You're not the only one that had that question too. So I did a little research, right? And I found in scripture where God said this was going to happen. So this is going to be on the screen. You don't necessarily have to turn there. It's in Leviticus. So this is, this is why this is happening. 
So in Leviticus chapter 26, and verses, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 and then 23 through 25 so we can get an idea of why God allowed the Babylonian nation to take them over. So it starts, says, however, God says, however, if you do not listen to me or obey all these commands, and if you break my covenant by rejecting my decrees, treating my regulations with contempt and refusing to obey my commands, I will punish you. I will bring sudden terrors upon you, wasting disease and burning fevers that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will plant your crops in vain because your enemies will eat them. I will turn against you and you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will run even when no one is chasing you. And then skip down to verses 23. It says, and if you fail to learn again, if you fail to learn the lesson and continue your hostility toward me, then I myself will strike you with calamity seven times over for your sins. I will send armies against you to carry out the curse of the covenant you have broken. So that's pretty much like right there what's happening, right? Like God said, he said this to Moses. He, he laid out the law and the plans, that he, he, the covenant he made, the promise he made with his nation. It was like, follow these. And if you continue to disobey me, this is what's going to happen. If you continue to disobey me, I'm going to deliver you to your enemies. They're going to destroy your city. They're going to take you over. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be running. And they did. They were continually disobedient. And what's happening in this time is, is the, the nation, the the Israel nation is worshiping idols. They're worshiping false idols, even though they know God's the one true God. They're breaking the laws of the covenant. And here especially, they're not keeping the Sabbath promise that God said you need to rest, let the land rest, let the people rest. And they're continually working and breaking God's promise for them. So God said, hey, guess what? I'm going to punish you for your sins. But it's not just like a punishment to say, you deserve this, just sit and be terrible. No, God says, I'm going to punish you because I want to correct you. So here, this is his plan of correction to lead this nation back to him. Because he knows this correction must take place so that they can understand that they've been in the wrong. So, but then, you know, all this is happening. God said, this is going to happen. But God also made a promise right here in Leviticus. So skipping down in chapter 26, verse 44, 45, God says, But despite all this, I will not utterly reject or despise them while they are in exile in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out, for I am the Lord their God. For their sakes I will remember my ancient covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in sight of all the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So he made a promise. He said, hey, this is going to happen. You guys are going to disobey me, but I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to take care of you while you're in this nation. And you're going to live there. And that's where Daniel comes into play. So we'll continue back. We could jump back to your scripture to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. This is in sight of what God said would happen, allowing them to be taken and punished and corrected to God's promise that he said, I still will not forget you, though. So starting in verse 3 of Daniel 1, it says, Then the king ordered Asphenzaz, his chief of staff, to bring the to bring to the place some of the young men of Judah's royal family and the other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted in knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his very own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. 
The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So looking back at Leviticus into now, this is what's going on in this land. Daniel, as a young man, was taken from his home. He's probably about the age of 14. That's crazy. You always think like, oh, you know, he's probably like 18, 19, 20, and, you know, he's taken to this land and raised. No, he's like 14 years old maybe and taken to this foreign land, a place he doesn't know, a place that doesn't worship God, and he was raised in their ways. He was forced to be in their education, forced, forced to learn all this. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, this kind of sounds like us. As believers, this kind of sounds like us. So li- bear with me. Listen to this. So as believers, if our home is the kingdom of heaven, right? Right? You can respond. If This doesn't work if we don't respond. So as believers, our home is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You can say amen. Woo, yeah. All right. So it's the kingdom of heaven. Then we are in a foreign land. We are exiles here. We do not belong here. This is not our home. And I don't know about you, but this place doesn't seem to honor or worship God very much. Would you agree with me there? Yes, exactly. That's true, right? So that's where I was starting to make this connection. I'm like, man, this kind of sounds a lot like us. Um, so what are we supposed to do about it? If, this, if, we, if we fit right here in this story, we're like, yeah, that's me. I'm in the same place. How do I fit here? What am I supposed to do? Um, are we supposed to just form like reclusive bubbles? Are we supposed to keep away from the world, never let our kids go anywhere, never let them be involved in anything, never let us be involved in any part of the society, never go anywhere else, form our own clubs, our own parties, our own groups, and then just be around each other because we're just like each other? Is that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely not, right? So that sounds ridiculous. That just doesn't sound like what God has called us to, not at all. So with that thought, and then how do we then live as exiles here? How do we live as a people that don't belong here? Let's look at what Daniel did. That sounds good, right? Let's just look at what a faithful man did in Scripture, a faithful person did in Scripture. So let's read verses 8 through 16. It says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat the unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid, my lo- I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered the food that you eat and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke to the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff, looked at by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on the diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, "At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see." The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food of the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. So the purpose of all this, you know, the purpose of them bringing these young men to their city, the purpose of them putting them in this education, the purpose of them giving them this fancy food, you know, it's from the king's table. That means it's legit. It's good. It's a lot of food. It's excess. And the purpose of all this food, this education, this language, this training, 
The whole purpose behind it was so that these young men would leave behind their God and their culture and they would accept the new one. So that they would leave behind all their old ways, everything that they believed, their God that they believed in, and they would convert and become like the people of this land. It wasn't a coincidence that he was treating them so greatly. You know, they were captives in this state, and he's trying to convert them to be outstanding members in their society, to be just like everyone else. But here's the thing. Daniel and his friends took a stand in their faith. They chose not to defile themselves. And what that really meant is the food. So in Jewish culture, they had a lot of um, laws that God laid out on how to clean and butcher and prepare meats, and it was called like the kosher laws. And so most likely this food was not prepared in a kosher way. So it was actually disobedient for them to eat of it because it was not how God called them to clean and eat animals. And also it had probably been sacrificed or like offered as dedication to most of their idols. Um, A lot of the times that is like the food that would be prepared would be sacrificed or dedicated and then it would be served at the king's table. So it was actually true that it was defiling for their bodies because it was disobedient to what God said. I really, I really like this. I read this from um, someone studying this scripture. It said, Daniel didn't object the name given to him because he knew who he was. You could call him whatever you liked. Daniel didn't object to the Babylonian education because he knew what he believed. Daniel did object to the food because to eat it was direct disobedience to God's word. It was a line. He was like, I'll do your education. That's cool. I want to be a part here. I don't want to be difficult. I'll learn. I'll be here. You can call me whatever you want. I know my name is Daniel, and I know I belong to the king, but I'm not going to defile myself. He took a stand for his faith. This is what I love. In verse 8, it says he asked permission not to eat of the food. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we think for us to like take a stand, we have to be super obnoxious. We have to stand outside with like posters and say, God does this. God's going to do like We think we have to be really loud and annoying about it. But that's not what Daniel did here. I think he carried the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it talks about love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. It doesn't sound very obnoxious, right? It sounds very gentle and compassionate and caring. And that's how Daniel approaches situations. He's like, hey, you know, uh, let's try something out. I don't want to defile myself. This is my belief. What if we did this? And the guy's like, mm, I don't know. I could be killed for it. And Daniel says, look, just test us. All right, test us. And then tell the king at the end of the 10 days, you know, if it didn't work out well, it was my idea because it's my beliefs and I'll take the blame for it. That was a big deal. Usually in those time of days when the king, like, declared something, you did it. And if you didn't, it meant death probably, which we'll read later in Daniel the next coming weeks. When you denied what the king said or didn't do what the king said, it usually meant death. And so Daniel went in a very compassionate and gentle way, (laughs) excuse me, a gentle way of, like, how can I approach this and not defile myself but still be gentle to the people around me? How can I make this about God and not about myself? In reality, the king's food probably looked better too, right? Who, who in here would rather have like a bowl of smelly broccoli over like a big, nice grilled steak? Anyone? That's right. No one would. No, don't even raise your hand. Don't even. Like that's not even true. Like you, you can walk and like if you just smell the faintest smell of meat, you're like, oh, 
Someone's, someone's barbecuing. That smells good. And then you barbecue the next day probably because it smells so good. But I'm never once walking down the street like, ooh, man, that broccoli smells good. Let me get some of that tonight. Like, no, it smells like, like human farts. It's gross. It's terrible. So, like, it's not ideal, you know. This meals of the king's table probably sounded a lot better than a vegetarian diet. It sounded a lot better than vegetables and water for the rest of your existence there. And also, like, there's probably other Hebrew boys there. They took a lot of, like, well-educated Hebrew boys with them, and there's probably a lot more than these four guys we're talking about, and they're probably all eating the other food. They're probably all sitting there indulging themselves because they're like, who cares? This is awesome. I'm 14 years old. I'm going to eat Pop-Tarts all day long. That's what I did. Yeah, it's, it sounds a lot better. Really, Daniel and his friends could have said this. They could have said, man, God really let us down. He totally abandoned us. He took me from my home. I'm a kid. He took me from my home and brought me to this place. Why should I even obey him now? Why should I follow him? I'm here. This stinks. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And I think that's like the mentality that most Christians carry, isn't it? We kind of make this barter system with God. We're like, God, if you do right by me, I'll do right by you. God, if you give me this, then I'll start to follow you closer. God, if I could just pass this course. God, if I could just get this promotion, if I could just get this next thing, then I'm going to be following you so much better. God, give me this, and then I'll give you this. It's this so backwards relationship that we create with God, then he becomes like our Santa Claus. It's like, God, just give me something, and then I'll like you. And that's not a relationship. Like, you and I in this room can't be friends like that. Like, Juan, if you and I had a friendship and all I said is, Juan, if you give me this, I'll like you, we probably wouldn't be friends, would we? Yeah, exactly. So hopefully I don't do that. You know, hopefully I don't. Let me know if I do. No, I'm just kidding. But you can't have a friendship like that. You can't have a relationship like that. And then why do we deal and behave around God like that? And that's where I really struggle too. You know, I start to this this thing back and forth of like, God, do this, and then I'll do this, do this, do this. So you're not alone in that struggle. But what Daniel did is Daniel stood strong in his faith in the middle of trials and difficult times. Not asking God to do this for that, but because he knew it was what God had called him to. He knew this is where God was leading him. He didn't say, you know, God, if, if you just make my day and my life here a little easier, and then, and then I won't eat the food. And then, and then I'll just, I'll, I'll be more obedient to you, but make my day a little bit easier. You know, nah, yesterday was kind of hard, so I'm really struggling. If you could just give me a good day tomorrow, and then, you know, I'll eat vegetables. No, Daniel's like, God called me not to defile my body. God called me to glorify him in all I do, and I'm not going to move on it, regardless of what my situation looks like. It's probably not a great time, you know, there. And he's like, I don't care. God called me to this. And what's really cool about this is Daniel's so young, and that means that someone raised him in this way. So parents in the room hear this. It is important, important to raise your children in the faith. It doesn't mean you force it upon them and you blast it in their face. We are called to raise them in the ways of the Lord, to raise them day and night in the teachings of the Lord, to point them to God. Daniel had this in his life. And if you're not a parent in here, like me, I'm not a parent, so I'm like, oh, I don't have to listen to this. Guess what? He probably had more people than just his parents pouring into him. This is where discipleship comes into play. Church, this is one of the most important things 
as a church that we do, you know, we say everything's just as important. This is one of the big ones too, discipleship. He had people pouring into his life, teaching him in the ways of the Lord, leading him to Jesus, leading him so that he would one day be able to be obedient and faithful on his own. So church, we have to be doing this in the next generation. We have to be having it happen in our lives, and we have to be doing it in other people's lives. Just because they're not your kids doesn't mean we don't train them in the Lord. Amen? That's right. Come on. Come on, y'all. Y'all can respond a little more today, everybody. Are you glad to be here or not? Um, Make me feel a little better up here. So we read all this and look at this and can talk about it. Um, Here's the result of what what happens when when Daniel stands in his faith. We're going to read verses um, 17 through 20. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom, balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and or enchanters in his entire kingdom, y'all. That's pretty cool. They were used in the workplace. They were used as productive people in a culture that was not worshiping God. And God was glorified in the end of it. No one stood out like these young men. None of the high magicians, none of the high chiefs, no one. They were the best at their job they could be because of obedience to God. And look at what God did. Daniel and his friends show us what God can do when we stand firm in our faith, in him, in the midst of a culture that does not honor or worship him whatsoever. We can look at this and say, that's a really cool story, Dylan. I'm glad you shared that with me. I feel really good today. Um, But that's not the point of this whatsoever. How can we then apply this to our lives? What are we supposed to do now? How do I take this into my week, Dylan? Like, if... If they were productive members of society, if they were the best in their job, in their workplace, in their school, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? Oh, man, guess what? There's some great scripture for that, so get ready for this. In Jeremiah 29, this is a letter written literally to these people in exile, written to these people that were taken to Babylon. I'm telling you all, it's amazing, and it fits right now for our day and age. So I'm just going to read the first or I'm going to read verses 4 through 15, and then we're going to see how it speaks to us today. So it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon for Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, Do not let your, prof- do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come. 
and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans of good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In the days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your land. So what does that mean for us? I have some great pointers to tell you about it. So they're going to be on the screen. But this is how, it, like, to me, it spoke to me. Like, how am I supposed to live here in Montreal? How am I supposed to live here wherever I live, wherever God plants me in my life? Where am I supposed to be? Because this isn't my home. My home is the kingdom of heaven. How do I live in exile here? Number one, it says here in Jeremiah, the Lord says, plan to stay. See, these people in exile were like, hmm, maybe God's going to come in this triumphant entry next week and bust down the walls and break us out, and it's going to be amazing, and we're going to be home, and everything's going to be good again. And they're like, I'll just look for that day. I won't worry about being productive here. I'm just going to look for the day when the Lord comes again, and I'm not going to worry about it. No, God's like, hey, guess what? You're going to be here a long time. <laughs> You're going to be here for 70 years. Plan to stay there. Be involved. Don't seclude yourselves. Raise families. He says, have children. Find spouses for your children so they have children. Don't dwindle away. Be known in this place. Work. This is the second point. It says work. Be a part of the society. Work. This is a big one. It says work for peace and prosperity of the city. How, how would others see God if we don't do these two things. If we just lived ourselves apart, away from the rest of society because we're like, the Lord's coming one day. I'm happy. I'm good. I don't really belong here. How would other people see Jesus if we aren't actively obedient in this city, working for the good of the city? Because in the end, when people see, wow, you're a hard worker, you say, it's because God in me. He is glorified in that. It's just plan to stay, work, root your lives in this city. Another thing he says, be encouraged. Because it's easy to get discouraged in the time. The time for them in exile and the time for us here, it's not easy to exist in a culture that doesn't glorify God. But be encouraged, because guess what? He is coming home again one day. Amen. Come on, that's a point where you say amen. He's coming home again one day to take us home. Amen. Come on, church. That's a big deal. He's coming again to save. He's going to bring us home to be united with him in heaven. Oh, we are exiles here. That doesn't mean we don't be a part of the society. We have encouragement because we know we will be united with him one day. But he has placed us here for his very purpose to be glorified and made known. That's encouraging. The last thing he says is don't be conformed. You're to live there, but don't be conformed. You're supposed to be involved in the culture and the city, but don't be conformed. And I was like, well, man, how do I do that? Because that's kind of complicated. Man, these last couple verses are fire. It says, pray. He will listen. God says, pray to me and I will listen. He says, look for me. If you look for me with your whole heart, guess what? I'll be there with you. If you look up to me, if you search me, if you desire to be with me, I'm going to be right there with you in this exile. 
And we can't maintain any of these other points. We can't maintain staying here, living here, existing here if we aren't doing these first. If, the, if we aren't doing these, if we aren't praying to him continually, if we aren't seeking to be in his presence, seeking a relationship with him, we can never be a part of this society and not conform to it. You will fall apart, friend. You will fall apart. I have been there. If we're not maintaining a relationship with God, this place eats us up. This world will eat you up. This is how Daniel lived in exile, and God was glorified in it. What if we chose to live this coming week like Daniel did, like Jeremiah 29 says? So often we think we're supposed to close off from society, form our own, our own groups, our cliques, whatever you want it to be, form our own private schools, our own private teachings to where we can raise ourselves in the ways and then be different from the world, be in it but not of it. You know, people say that all the time, which is a good saying, but what does it really mean? Church, if we form these things and stay away from the whole community, how do we expect people to encounter God if we are not out there bringing it to them? How are we expecting them to experience the grace, the love, the gentleness, and the mercy of Jesus Christ if we just stay here? Church, where are they supposed to see him? We gotta take it to him. We gotta be in the society. We gotta be productive there. We gotta work hard so that God would be glorified in it. Look how God used Daniel just in his obedience, just as a normal person in everyday life. He was in school. Anyone in school here? I know there's people in here, so you can raise your hand. Yeah, he was in school. He had a job after that. Is anyone working full-time? Yeah, I'm working full-time. You're working full-time. He's a normal dude. He wasn't like what we expect. We think of like professional Christians, you know, like so I stand up here behind this pedestal, and you're like, oh, he's a professional. He's supposed to do this. <laughs> Joke's on you. Like I am not a professional. Like I am ordinary, and God calls us to live these ordinary daily lives because that's where he's glorified y'all that's where the people of the world are that's where they're waiting desperately to hear and see from him they're looking for something to fill them and guess what we bring it when we bring our best to the kingdom when we bring our best into this world like i said all this must be an overflow of our relationship with god we can carry this weight after today and we can say man that's a lot for me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. I just really, I feel really bad about myself. Please never walk away like that. Never leave on a Sunday feeling discouraged because there is grace and forgiveness when we fail. Amen? Amen. Yes, come on. God gives grace to say, hey, guess what? Come back to me. Be obedient in me. And I'll use you wherever you are. I'll use you in your school. I'll use you in your work. I'll use you wherever you are if you just say yes and come back to me. What would Montreal look like if we just lived for Jesus like Daniel did? If we lived obedient lives, just taking, our, taking a stand in our faith wherever it was, in school and work, wherever it be, if we lived as Daniel did? Maybe you're here and you're hearing all about this and we're talking about our citizenship in heaven. You know, we talk a lot about citizenship and where it belongs. And, you know, for me, I'm trying to maybe get citizenship here. And that's kind of difficult if you don't speak French. So learning French. But maybe you're here today and you're thinking about, like, what is this citizenship idea? What does this mean to be belonging to another place? I'll tell you what. 
we find who we are, our, our identity in Jesus Christ alone. If you're here today and you're looking for a place, you're trying to find your purpose in life and you've searched all these ways and it's just empty and empty and empty and you've chased this and you chase that, and you're like, I am tired of chasing these things. I am so empty. Friend, I've been there. The only place we find our peace, our citizenship, our belonging, our purpose is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And he offers it to you freely, guys. He offers it freely to you in this room. Because of his gift, his life here on earth as man, his death on a cross, and, the, and his risen from life, and now offers you forgiveness. So maybe you're here and you, you want to know more about that. Well, we're going to go into a time of prayer as we kind of wrap up the message. I'll be standing at the back of this table. Um, please, 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 please come talk to me. Um, I don't want you to ever walk away from this place with questions of any of this, what it means, how to receive Jesus. So please come and talk to us. Today I want us to kind of question a little what it would be like for us to live like Daniel. I want us to start to think about the question, where is our citizenship, okay? So in this prayer time, we're going to spend a few minutes of just prayer on your own. Start to question, all right, Lord, where is my citizenship? Where am I found? Where is my belonging? Say, all right, my belonging is in Jesus. Okay. How are we living here? Are we living like Daniel did where he stood for his faith? Everywhere he went, God was glorified because he let God use him. Or are we just kind of not standing for God? We save the glorifying for Sunday morning where we're like, oh, praise you, Lord, I feel great. But then the rest of the week kind of slumps off. And then by Saturday, we're just exhausted and we hate being here. But then Sunday comes again and I feel good. Oh, praise the name. That's not the life he calls us to, guys. He calls us to life abundantly with him as we go through the week. Spend time in prayer with him in this moment to align our hearts back with his and his vision, his mission for wherever we are as people who don't belong here. Be encouraged. He's coming again. And he offers forgiveness for you. For the times that I fail continually or I constantly miss his vision, I constantly mess up in the city and I conform to everything else, I am right there with you. He says, hey, guess what? I'll forgive you. <laughs> Just come to me. Come back to me. Be obedient in me. See what will happen if you just say yes. Follow me. Spend some time in prayer aligning your heart this morning back with what God has designed for us to live in exile wherever we are. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.